Welcome to the latest installment of The Curious Capitalist. The Curious Capitalist is a series of podcasts where we take the opportunity to not only speak to board members from the Conscious Capitalism Connecticut chapter, but also local business owners, startups and entrepreneurs from across the state of Connecticut. Welcome to the latest edition of The Curious Capitalist. Today, I am joined by the founding partners of the West Hartford-based company, The Boulder Company. Ellen and Jenny, welcome to The Curious Capitalist. Thank you. Good morning, Claire. Good morning to you. Right, let's find out a little bit more about you guys, the work you're doing, and of course, the connections that you have to conscious capitalism here in Connecticut. So first of all, tell me a little bit about how you guys got started, how you got to this point in your career. Ellen and I have actually known each other for a very, very long time. We met in 2003 and were best friends for years. And then along our journey, we started doing improv classes together. And we were both already engaged in facilitation and coaching and teaching and developing people. And when we started doing improv classes together, we said, we should be creating something together because that would be fun. Two brains are better than one. So we started our company together in 2014 when we decided it would be more fun to just up-level together than fly solo any further. Brilliant. Uh, what were you guys up to before the Boulder Company? This is Ellen. I had my own training and facilitation company called The Next Piece, and I focused a lot on unconscious bias and inclusion work within workplaces, as well as the more traditional management development skills like personality type, conflict management strategies, and used very traditional teaching and training and facilitation methods. I mean, I had always been a more engaging trainer. So uh, that's what I was doing right before that. And before that, I had stints as a city planner and an economic development person and uh, switched out of public service and into working for a regional retail chain for a while in community relations, and then decided to do my own thing right around 1997. So when Jenny and I met, I was already involved in another business. She joined me in that one. We dumped that business and kept each other as part of our story together. Oh, fantastic. And Jenny, what about you? Before the Boulder Company, what did the world look like for you? Oh, the world was uh, me working for other people, unlike my partner in crime here. So I spent a lot of years working as a salesperson in different arenas, selling to and serving small businesses, which is really one of the great loves of my life is small business. So I served them in a variety of capacities. And then I moved into working actually for a British company. My <laughs> China company. I bet you got a good time off though, didn't you? I bet you got lots <laughs> of uh, paid vacation. <laughs> we, it was bitter. pretty good actually. Yeah, yeah. it was... Uh, <laughs> It was a family-run company. It was a. It was from Stokon Trent, so it was a big China company, and I was, we were on the import side. So it was really loads of fun because I got to have experience working internationally with a lot of different kinds of contacts and and people everywhere from you know the UK to Italy to China to the Philippines and just all around the world, which was really great. It really wet my appetite for having international contacts and having international work available. So it kind of, I think, on some level primed the pump because then a few years later when Ellen and I started the Boulder Company, we we met a bunch of folks internationally. So we, we both, I think, had the travel bug that bit us and has informed our thinking along the way. But at some point, like a lot of solopreneurs, I, I had the realization of I am a terrible employee and I need to be out on my own. <laughs> so that was why I left. <laughs> <laughs> not quite unemployable, just would prefer not to answer to anybody else. I love that. 
so tell me, have you guys always been kind of purpose driven? Have you always been focused on kind of a, a purpose driven mission within your work? Yes. This is Ellen, unequivocally, yes. Our first foray into working together was we put together a three hour public speaking class called Stand Out, which interestingly, we just ran last Friday for the first time virtually, and it went off just as well online as it did in person, which was so great to see. And what we both noticed was that people would stand up to introduce themselves and their business and they would fall apart. They were in no way a good representation of themselves, their business or their passion for that business because they were so in their heads about how they were going to look and what other people were going to be thinking about them. And so we decided we needed to help people get over their aversion to being seen and heard and help them get more comfortable in their bodies. And then they would show up more powerfully, which has been a driving force for our business since day one is to help people get over themselves and to show up in the world as a more powerful version of who they are so that they can go do the thing that they want with passion without themselves getting in the way of it. So that's where we started and that's still what we do. It's such a difficult skill to attain. If you are of that disposition, it, public speaking and, and really delivering in that area is so difficult. What about you, Jenny? Always been purpose-driven? Working in sales? Yeah, definitely. I think even when I was working in sales, I always loved the idea that I was helping somebody to become more powerful inside their own little domain. That always kind of turned me on. And um, so as I moved through my sales career and did that, it grew and grew and grew. And then I ended up going to coaching school. And this was about a million years ago, probably 2005, 2006, because I discovered along the way that I really liked that side of being in sales. So if you're doing sales well, you really are empowering people, right? You're empowering people how to be more fully expressed and engaging and view the work that they do from a lens of supporting and service and making a difference. I think all the best salespeople, that's what they do. So I just expanded it out and that was, that led me to coaching and that was entirely purpose-driven. It was driven towards, you know, how can I help people be more of who they really are? I've always had this obsession with people just not needing to be fake, not needing to put on a front of what they're supposed to be, who they think they should be. Two of my least favorite words in the English language are supposed to and should. Like yeah. Ellen and I, throughout our business, we've our approach to supporting people has been, we've actually turned people down from working with us because we've said, you know what? This isn't a good fit. We're not, we're not going to do our best work with you. You're not going to get the most from us. And people are absolutely shocked. They're shocked when that happens because then they say, oh my gosh, wow, nobody's ever being that genuine with me. You know, there's so many people that are sort of approaching it from the opposite perspective. And then that usually ultimately has, has the effect of them really stopping and thinking about, well, who am I at my company? What is it that I'm really out for for my people? Yeah. Like why am I? Why did I call Boulder Company? Did I call Boulder mm -hmm. Company because I wanted to, uh, I wanted to check a box on diversity training, or did I call Boulder Company because I actually want my people and myself to become more powerful and at ease in their own skin and more uh, communicative and more energized as a team? Is that really why I called? Yeah. So it's it's an interesting little dynamic that yeah it works people. it works turning somebody down is a, is a big deal i remember once i used to work with the most prolific saleswoman in the uk and i remember this company came to us and i used to work in radio and they wanted to advertise on the radio 
and they wanted to do this, 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 and this, and it was on their terms. And I remember her saying, um, look, uh, I appreciate what you want to do, but in order to do what you need to do, you need to do this, 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 and this. And they didn't want to do it. And she said, look, I totally understand where you're coming from, but perhaps come back to us when you're in a position to spend the right amount of money and have the right mindset about it. And it'd be a pleasure to help you. So she basically turned down like a five grand deal, which is a lot of money for a local commercial radio station. And this guy's face, I remember being in the meeting going, oh, what just happened? We shook hands, we left, we went upstairs to the studio. And I'm like, you just turned down a five grand order. She went, he'll be back. He'll be back within 12 months and it'll be a 10 grand order and it will work for him. And we will be champion radio. We are not going to snatch and grab in order to make short-term money today because in the future, I want it to work for his business. And you know what? He came back and became one of our biggest advertisers. It was such a powerful lesson for me. You have to have the, the balls to do it, you know, sometimes to do that. Well, and well, it's kind of funny because I cannot help but think that that is really sort of a, um, that's very much in alignment with the conscious capitalism way of thinking, right? Because what you described in that situation is is a different kind of leadership. So isn't it funny that fast forward here, you do this work now in conscious capitalism after yeah. bearing witness to that event? Absolutely. You know, the other thing is from that story, what I heard was regardless of whether he came back, the fact that your coworker was able to say, we're not a good fit for you. And you'd be better served to think about how we can be a better fit for you than for us to sell you this now, right? So often we see that snatch and grab that you just described, yep. where, where folks are saying yes to something because of the money that's right in front of them, and nobody wins. Nope. Nobody wins in those scenarios. You're setting yourself up and it, you know, Jenny and I are not a two person company. There are other people on the bench that you don't see that we bring in on a, on a project by project basis, but we are the face of the Boulder company, right? So when we go out into the world, if we over promise and under deliver, then it affects not just us, but everyone yeah. and our brand, right? We're better off saying, you know what? We think that your goals for this are this wide and a one-off training is not going to do that. You probably want to think about a series of five or six or eight one-hour sessions instead of one eight-hour day as a way to have people digest chunks of information instead of cramming it all into one day and having them just feel exhausted and going, that was nice, and then they go back to doing exactly what they were doing before because we know from a training perspective that muscle memory gets developed over time, right? So when somebody comes to us and they're like, we wanna do diversity and inclusion work for all 150 of our employees and we want to do it in three hour sessions and we have 150 of them, we're like, well, that's a great start. <laughs> no, no, that's all we want to do. You know, we only have this much budget and we need to do everybody. We're like, well, why don't you take that budget and work with the leadership of your organization and get them in a better place to have these conversations and really be a stand for diversity and inclusion in your organization and have the people that make the hiring decisions and the promotion decisions and the disciplinary decisions have a stronger foundation in it. You're better served investing in the leadership of your organization and having it come through them than to crop dust, which is what we call that attempt to do everybody at once, regardless of where they are in the organization. I mean, it's great if a company needs to level set and say, this is what we stand for. Right. But to bring such a diverse group into the room, not knowing where anyone stands and to think that you can put 30 people in a room at a time and have a long term impact. Yeah. It's a disservice to the client, 
when we say yes. Yeah, if we, we, say we yes. call it, uh, was it spray and pray <laughs> is, is another analogy for it. Spray and there pray and hope something sticks, <laughs> but uh, it's not going to work. Tell me what it means to you and your company about your higher purpose. Tell me some of the words that you would use to describe the culture and your higher purpose within the Boulder Company. So we did some great work with our friends, Brent and Dave at Fathom in West Hartford. I don't um, I know they've been involved in conscious capitalism sometimes. And uh, a couple of years ago, we did a session with them where they really helped us get at our purpose, our reason for existing. And our reason for existing as an organization is to free people up to live in their power. Now, granted, that's that's not a marketing message, but it is it is a grounding sense of purpose for us because how that informs our thinking when you pair it with our values is very important. Our values are uh, levity, courage, curiosity, and generosity. And so when you pair that purpose with those values, what that allows for is it allows us to walk through hard things together. And so when it gets hard, we say, okay, let's activate our courage. Let's remind ourselves of why we exist. When we find ourselves getting in the weeds, being too serious or too scared about something, you know, as, as a lot of companies have experienced through COVID, we go back to those pieces and say, well, wait a minute, if we exist to, to free people to be in their power, then that is also true for us because that is mm-hmm. our journey. So what do we need to do for our own selves in this moment to be more courageous and powerful? So I think that we are all about the doing of our craft and the doing of the work because one of the things that informs our thinking is that everybody can know everything all the time because we're living in the information age. I can look up anything. I can become a a subject matter expert in anything, anytime, or at least claim to be by looking it up on the in, on the internet but uh the you know the internet are gonna they give us a ton of information but really where change happens where magic happens is you know the thing that ellen pinpointed before which is muscle memory it's about how we do a thing right i love the, the meme that everybody talks about you know the famous gandhi quote about be the change everybody loves to spout that as a quotable quote but what does it mean what does it mean in terms of how you show up for each other inside an organization you know, it's a, that's about the doing. That's about the behavior and the, the habits of thinking and feeling and doing. It's different than knowing. That's what it means for me anyway. I don't know. What, I'm sure Ellen might have something mm. else to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say that, you, yes, what Jenny said. And one of the tenets of our business, the, the platform, the differentiator for our company is that we use something called applied improvisation to teach what we teach. So instead of having somebody sit in the class and learn about listening for eight hours, we have them engaging with another person in an improvisational exercise that has them practice learning, listening together and laughing about it because it's ridiculous how bad we all are at listening, right? And not making people wrong for not doing it well, but showing them, like shine a mirror on yourself, take a look, So it's all about like not us preaching. It's more like guide on the side and giving people the opportunity to succeed or fail with each other, with each other. And then to just get some coaching and be open to hearing, yeah, that worked, that didn't work. I do that all the time. Oh my God, I interrupt 27,000 times during the day. I interrupt myself while I'm thinking. I interrupt other people while they're talking right? Helping people to notice, for example, the distractions of their world. So, our whole orientation is self-discovery. It's not lecture. It's not 
death by PowerPoint. It's, it really <laughs> is an approach, even in a virtual setting, to getting people to engage with each other and in conversations that mean something with each other, which means that they have to be willing at the start or as they evolve and we help them get to that point in a workshop to be more vulnerable with each other and to notice, you know, whether we're teaching public speaking or we're teaching listening, that they do something, they fail and they don't die, right? <laughs> that it's this process of sort of getting over your aversion to making mistakes and being seen so that you can be okay with making mistakes and being seen, which gets us to that higher purpose of helping people walk through the world as a more powerful version of themselves. Yeah, absolutely. What do you guys wish you'd known before starting out on your career path? Mm. Tough one. The one thing I wish I'd known is I am already enough. Nice. I, I spent years battling my own. I never finished college. And so I spent years battling that with myself and questioning my own abilities as a result of it. And along my journey now, here I am, you know, rounding the corner on 50 in a couple of years. And I, it took me a long time to get to a place of being able to say, everything I have is already enough. And I didn't need a I didn't need an external label or validation from an institution to tell me that. And I think that that's a battle for a lot of people um, who are great at what they do. I mean, if you think about how many people go to school and then end up doing something radically different than what they got educated for. <laughs> uh, Ellen, what do you wish you'd known before starting out on your career path? Um, there are a couple things. I think one is that safe isn't safe, right? That playing small may feel safe, but it's a trap. And it's a trap that keeps you stuck. Like that. So I think that would be the first one. And uh, Jenny and I come together from very divergent paths. So when you say, what's your career path? I say it's more like a roller coaster at Six Flags than it is <laughs> a path, right? Because I have an undergraduate degree in sociology and Spanish. And from that, I got a passion and I wanted to build low-income housing or, or quality housing for people didn't have access because of whatever reason, right? So I got a master's in urban planning and I wound up regulating subdivisions and shopping malls, but it was safe. And I had uh, an annual salary and a clear career path. And then I went into economic development and I was helping businesses develop financial plans and find places to locate. And that was safe and stable too. And then I hopped off into a retail chain, right? But all along the way, what I perceived to be risky, other people are like, yeah, okay. And other people were saying, why are you changing careers? Like I just invested and got a six-year degree. It took six years to get my degree in urban planning and, and a pile of debt. Wow. Why would you jump off and go into community relations for a regional retailer? And the answer was, because it interests me. So I think that that would be my other thing to myself which is to follow your curiosity, which is one of the main tenets of improv, right? Follow your curiosity. The path is the consistent thread. If you could hear it, maybe you couldn't in all of those things that I just mentioned is a passion for making a difference for people. Yep. So, you know, whether it was urban planning or it's economic development or it's working at this regional retail or creating school business partnerships, right? Or it's in the work that we're doing now, we're having a positive impact on people and their ability to make a difference. And particularly with Boulder Company, the passion gets realized in workplaces because if we can work with people so that they get a stronger sense of who they are and how they should, I'm sorry, I use the should word, but how they should be treating each other and people have a higher level of satisfaction and engagement in their work. They don't leave work 
depleted and angry every day. They leave work with energy to go make a difference. So I guess those are the two things, that safe isn't safe and following your curiosity, even if it means what other people perceive to be different career paths, if they're in alignment with who you are, not what you are, they're not bad choices. Guys, tell me, how did you first hear of and get involved with conscious capitalism here in Connecticut? Well, we've been hearing about conscious capitalism from a couple of our friends who are actually on the board for a while. And the notion of conscious capitalism was not new to me when I found out it was here in Connecticut because I worked with EcoBags for five years when I was on my own as a consultant doing their marketing and public relations. They're a B Corps and they're part of that whole world. So I was super familiar with the tenets of conscious capitalism, and but it was our friends, whether it was Brent Robertson or Karen Centeo, who, go, I, I don't know if they're on the board or that they go to regular meetings who introduce us to that organization. Okay, cool. What about you, Jenny? Although I've never worked for a B Corps, I've always um, just sort of followed peripherally the work of, of the organization and seen it grow. So that's been my exposure. And uh, I've often thought, well, I'd like to get more involved in what, what this is about because it's so aligned with our company values and my own personal values as well in the same way that Ellen is describing. So thinking about the culture within your company, if you could snap your fingers and make one cultural change, what would it be and why? So one of the things that we've been out for the last couple of years as we've grown is to, uh, to fire ourselves from certain jobs. Because like a lot of small companies, we are the chief cooks and bottle washers across yeah. all the many areas. And then, you know, we pull people in as needed. We've got great facilitators. We've got great designers. We've got excellent coaches. And they, they're all, you know, this wonderful bench of people that work with us. But as we've grow, been growing and scaling, um, we've had to train ourselves out of the, and this is such a common thing in entrepreneurs and small businesses, we've had to train ourselves, fire ourselves from certain things in the name of growth. Because the, the reality is that it's not a good use of, of my time to be doing certain operational things. It's not a good use of Ellen's time to be doing certain marketing things. So I think that because we both have kind of a can-do spirit and, and we're game for trying and failing with grace and just doing what needs to be done, it has led us into a path of sometimes needing to have these little face-to-face -face moments of going, you need to fire yourself from that today. <laughs> And we're getting very good at that with each other, which is wonderful. And we've and the result is great that. because we now have, <laughs> yeah, because now we have a we have a, a marketing person who's taking on all of our marketing, which is Brilliant. great. We have a and she's amazing. She's Anissa Tyke out of uh, West Hartford Coworking. She runs the Small Business Collective. So it's really cool because in our in our choice for outsourcing our marketing, we're also supporting another small business, which is wonderful. And a lot of those businesses are also purpose driven organizations. So it's, it's just occurring to me now on the line with you today that, wow, that's like more of our expression of our purpose and more of them expressing their purpose, which is so cool. Yep. Um, so she's brilliant and she's getting ready to do a bunch of launching stuff for us. And then we've got a project manager that we've been engaging recently who's helping us. So I think uh, that would be my thing. If I could snap my fingers and just uh, fire us from some other stuff. That <laughs> Be my, that would be a thing, and I think that's, uh, that's very doable. <laughs> what cultural changes would you make, Ellen? To kind of build on what Jenny said, 
we have five years of doing things that we're okay at doing reasonably well. <laughs> so we do them just well enough to continue to do them. If we were really bad at it, we would hire somebody. Yes. But when you pair good enough to do it reasonably well with we're cheap and we're trying to manage our money the best way possible. <laughs> Right? We keep ourselves off doing stuff that is low value work when really what we should be doing is business development and curriculum design, right? Because if I were fully focused on, on business development, which is really an area where I excel in terms of marketing and building networks and, and finding new business, and I wasn't putting together like email blasts and, you know, putting together forms for our workshop, we'd have more work in the pipeline to hire more people to do the work. But we're in a two-person boat for the most part. You know, I use analogies from crew from rowing a lot. Like we have a two-person skull in the water. If either of us stops rowing, the boat really isn't going very far. And if we're both pulling hard all the time, we get exhausted, yeah. right? And if yeah. one of us puts our oar too deep in the water, we're going to tip the flip over. Yep. So right, if Jenny goes deep into the hole of curriculum design and doesn't look up at the calendar of the work we have coming ahead, we're in a world of hurt. And, and the same thing for me. If I'm off doing a million networking meetings and getting all these great leads but not following up on them because we don't have a system, to capture the information and do it consistently, then I'm wasting my time. Yeah, yeah. I like the analogy of the boat. I like that a lot. I've just got this image of you focusing on one thing, like hyper-focusing and the pair of you going around in circles. It's just a beautiful bit of image. <laughs> but donutting out on the sound. <laughs> or you know, put it like in, in the speed-up mode, right? Like a, like a, um, like they used to do the beginning of the Benny Hill show. It yes. Up <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> around in a boat in circles. <laughs> as long as you've got the branding on the side of your boat saying the Boulder Company, you've got it. You've got it aced. <laughs> <laughs> So thinking about you two out in your boat on the sound in a branded boat saying the Boulder Company, not going around in circles because you've had a, a chat. Boat. A purple, purple boat, because that's yeah, our favorite color. I'm feeling a branded like, purple boat. I like that. I want okay, this boat I'm now. really visualizing it. Who would be the most important stakeholder in your business? I'll start with our most important stakeholder is our relationship with each other. It's not a particular person but we have a particular mandate with each other woman date not mandate like that that's friend nice. date sister date that that our relationship is the most important thing in our business yeah and the extent to which we take care of that has a direct impact on how we take care of and present ourselves to the rest of the world mm. right because if it's wrong between us we can't go out and make the difference in a room that we need to make with a group of people. We can't encourage them to be vulnerable with each other and create the space for that to happen if we don't do that with each other. Yeah. And beyond that, it's to me, it's the other members of our team who get folded in and feel like they fit and feel like they have a voice and have the ability to make a difference and have the ability to stand up and say, hey, include me in this because I have something to bring to the table. Yes. That makes us who and how we are. And then beyond that, we went through a process with a friend of ours, a woman named Liz Detterer, who does sales training. And she had us create avatars for who our ideal client is, which is a different question than what you asked. But that 
winds up being the stakeholder in an organization that is tired of the status quo with regard to how to move the needle of employee engagement, which is a term we dislike profoundly, but the level at which people are engaging in, in the growth and development of their business, they can bring in training after training and they're just like, I can't throw more stuff against the wall that doesn't stick. Yeah. People are tired of being put in trainings that are ineffective. What have you got that's different? So it's that person who's already tried a bunch of things and is willing to try something that's a little out of the box and take the risk of their people in something that's out of the box that's not going to feel like PowerPoint, Yep. but is going to feel more like a full body experience of being involved in their own personal development mm -hmm. for the purpose of the company. That's our stakeholder. They're typically change makers within organizations, large and small. So it's, you know, it's not about the size of the company. It's more about somebody who's recognizing a need for change and has the interesting ability to see people laughing together and understand that they're learning, right? To see them throwing a pretend ball around the room and going, what the heck is happening in there? And I hope it helps them to figure out how to delegate better, right? <laughs> <laughs> challenge is they say people don't delegate fully. We're like, great, we have an exercise for that, right? And they're playing catch with each other. It's like, who dropped a ball? Why'd you drop a ball? Well, because it wasn't clearly thrown to me. Wait, are you blaming that person for not throwing it clearly to you? Did you say, wait, I didn't get that? But it is that person within an organization, that primary stakeholder is the person that wants things to shift and wants to bring people in who will take care of their people and move them to a next place. You're right. The, the root of that has to be your relationship and your partnership and how you're interacting. Essentially, you're, a, for want of a better phrase, a double act. And if the synergy is not right between you two, then when you're in front of all these people, it's just not going to work. And we have to work a whole lot harder if it isn't. Ladies, when you're not focused on your work uh, and rowing your purple boat, what do you do to relax? TV, sports, what, what are your hobbies? What, what do you do to really unwind? Well, I spend a lot of time hiking. I'm an avid hiker, so I spend a lot of time doing that. And I'm also an avid baker, which gets me in trouble with my waistline. Which is why you need to hike. But, and yeah, I, and two I, go hand in hand. Right, yeah. See, they two, two go hand in hand. And I love live music. Love, love, love live music. So I spend a lot of time going to concerts at little venues wherever I can. And um, I also, when it's up and running, I'm a choral singer very often in life. So I haven't been for a couple of years because we've been busy building the company, but I'm going back to it as soon as I can, as soon as we're all allowed to sing together again. Yeah, crikey. What about you, Ellen? To relax, what's your passions? Uh, I also enjoy hiking a great deal. And I like art. So I'm a rabid doodler, uh, so much so that <laughs> I keep on my desk, yeah, right on my desk next to me is a whole book and multiple colors of pens and things. And I'm always creating something. Yes. And I also do storytelling from stage. So I've been working towards one of these days getting on a, a moth stage. So I take storytelling classes and I participate in storytelling events as a storyteller and as an audience member. And I love that very much. If you could have dinner with any figure in history, who would it be and why? And what questions would you ask? Mm. I have two. Can I have two? Well, go on, as it's you, Ellen. All right, one would be my great-grandmother, who's not a historical figure except in my family. My grandmother's family came over from Russia. Kiev at that time was Russia. I guess they call it Kiev now, not Kiev, but 
with eight children from a small village somewhere in Russia, Ukraine. And I would love to talk with her about what it was like to do that, to have that immigrant experience, not speaking the language, coming into the Lower East Side of New York, trying to figure out how to make a new life here. So that would be one person. Yeah. And then I think the other person would be Barack Obama, because I think he's about the coolest person I can think of, <laughs> period, the end. I'd, I would just love to, he seems like somebody you could hang out with and just talk about where the world was when he came into office and where the world has gone and what his perspective is on how to move us back towards a more inclusive, humane way of being with each other, period. Because, yeah. I think yeah. that would be it. I'd like to come to your dinner party. What about you, Jenny? <laughs> um, the person that popped into my mind is someone that I would not expect. So that it's funny to hear the uh, answer emerge from within my brain. And it's Willa Cather, who uh, is a may not be an author that you're familiar with because she was an American writer about maybe 100 years ago. And she wrote uh, O Pioneers is probably her most famous title about people in passage on the American West, but she wrote this novel called Song of the Lark that I read a million years ago in high school, and it stuck with me on many, many levels. To this day, it's it's funny because it's a book that I've never even reread, so you would think that it I would have reread it since it stuck with me so well, but for whatever reason, it just had this resonance of the intersection between um, life, life's challenges, creativity, and the pursuit of our art, and what it meant to be a woman living in her place and time that she lived. And there was this part of the book when the, the story is about an, an opera singer, and at one point the opera singer is like living in the Anasazi, an abandoned Anasazi village way out in the American West in the desert. And I would love to have a conversation with Abila Kaffa about, you know, how did she manage to load all of that into this one character? Like what was her experience in life that that's who she brought to life on a page? Mm-hmm. It's fascinating to me. So many different dimensions of that character were compelling to me. Last couple of questions, ladies. Where do you see yourself and the Boulder Company in the next five or ten years? If you were to uh, predict the future with your crystal ball, what do you, what's, what's on the horizon for the next five or ten years? I don't, well, make wait, I don't, well, I don't want to wait for five years for the answer either, because that's cheating. predict <laughs> <laughs> it. <laughs> I, you know what we have a I would say we have a we have the potential to bring some key people into the company to scale the work that we do so that we have even more capacity to take on larger projects. We're part of something called the Applied Improvisation Network, which is an international organization. And both of us are hungry to be working in other countries and taking this fund somewhere else. So I would say that the Boulder Company is an international organization that has the ability to deliver um, the work that we do with some of our colleagues across the globe and also to have them working with us here in the US and to 
uh, one of the things that this current pandemic situation has shown us is there really are no borders to collaboration except time zones. Yep. Right. And, and right, right. So we have we have colleagues who are working collaboratively now across time zones. We're doing a, a meeting, a virtual meeting that we're managing for an association here in Connecticut at the end of the month. And our producer for the event is is somebody who lives on the West Coast who's who's a member of the Applied Improvisation Network because she's a Zoom master, mistress, whatever. She's a Zoomy, whatever. So it's given you know. I see us being bigger, but not a bigger footprint because we don't need it, right? That's the other thing that that's a gift of the pandemic is we don't need an office building because we have a collaborative team that can be wherever it is. So we have the flexibility because we're improvisers to figure things out and be in flow with what's happening in the economy and the world. Okay, so the Boulder Company International, what about personally? Um... Personally, five years, I still expect to be fully engaged in learning and development and business development for the Boulder Company. Beyond that, I might actually take a step back and be a little bit more retired. My husband's planning to exit stage left at some point, so it would not be fun for him to be playing all the time and me working all the time. (laughs) Okay, what about you, Jenny? I would say I intend to be continuing. I thought personally, I intend to continue to grow uh, Boulder, even even when my partner in crime starts to back off a little bit um, because there is that age difference. Um, And I would love to stay in Connecticut. My family's here, so I don't anticipate leaving Connecticut anytime soon. I value spending time with my aging parents. So I will will keep doing that and thriving here in Connecticut because I think Connecticut rocks and people just have no idea what a gem it is. So I want to be able to bring more of my whole self into Connecticut in that way. And along the lines of doing the international work that Ellen mentioned, along the lines of the work Ellen mentioned, I think we could be really becoming a premier provider for the field where we're getting a lot of traction and making a big difference. I think that Boulder can become a, a brand that is well known within the industries that we serve where we make a big difference in AEC and in manufacturing. Uh, sure. I, would, I want to make a dent there. And, uh, and I think it's really possible. I think it's really possible for us to do that. Uh, last one then for you guys. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. How can people find out more about you, your company? Have you got a website, social media? This is your opportunity. Go on, hit me. We do it all, Claire. We do it all. So, <laughs> folks can start with coming to our website, which is theboldercompany.com. And it's B-O-L-D-E-R, like be bolder. Bouldercompany.com. We also have a Facebook. Facebook company page. We also have an Instagram presence. And of course, we're on Twitter and LinkedIn. Yeah, I mean, we're we're everywhere and we're just a phone call away. Fantastic. Check them out. That is theboldercompany.com. Ladies, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time and uh, I wish you well. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the latest installment of The Curious Capitalist. For more information, you can visit the website, connecticut.consciouscapitalism.org.